Hello, welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm a pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church in Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about faith at our website, faithshelton.org. This podcast is being recorded for the first Sunday in Lent, February 26th. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to try my best to preach a series from the Book of Romans. By Grace Through Faith is my series title, and today, part one, we're looking at Romans chapter one and two. So I'm going to encourage you to grab your Bible right now, turn to the book of Romans. It's the first of the letters of Paul. You get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you get into Romans. We're going to look at the first couple of chapters. We're going to get to know a fellow named Saul of Tarsus, later uh, more popularly known as the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter. Paul had been a Jewish teacher and tent maker, and he became a Christian missionary, theologian, and reformer. Paul introduces himself to the Romans as simply a servant of Christ Jesus. The letter begins this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding God's Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul had been doing missionary work around the Mediterranean Sea for some 20 years, and by this time Paul has on his heart to bring the gospel all the way to Spain. Nobody had been there with the gospel message to that point. But to get to Spain, he was going to need some support from a cluster of little churches in Rome. Rome would be a a place for a launching place for his ministry. He would need donors, backers, companions, prayer partners. So he writes this letter to introduce himself to a group he's never met. It's an ambitious attempt to summarize and demonstrate his message, his vision, his missionary strategy. He's going to be coming to visit them in person, and he wants to grease the skids. He wants them to be ready and receptive to his vision. So he continues in verse 7, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. History tells us that Paul makes it to Rome, though as a prisoner, not a missionary, and he never does make it to Spain. But we have this letter. We have his letter to the Romans, arguably the most important of Paul's writings, if not one of the most important writings of all of Scripture. Paul wants uh, to let the Romans know about what he calls the gospel, the evangelion, the good news that was promised in the Hebrew Scriptures and finally revealed and realized in the person of Jesus, the Messiah Christ sent from God. To this day, this letter gives uh, the Christian faith ways to talk about human depravity and God's righteousness. He gives us language of doctrine of, of justification, saved by grace through faith, apart from works of the law, and for sanctification and new life, how through, daily, through baptism we daily die and rise to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You also get a sense that he has heard about some tension 
uh, at the church in Rome, maybe between two groups within those churches, all of them now Christian, but some of them from a Jewish background, while others uh, were Gentiles with zero familiarity with Jewish history or law. Paul takes pains to acknowledge both groups and give assurance that God doesn't play favorites. Verse 15, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We are justified by faith. We're made righteous through the righteousness of God, no matter who we are or where we came from. So far, so good. Then in verse 18, Paul takes up the topic of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of humanity. That's verse 18. Now, this is an interesting choice. I'm pretty sure that I would not have led with that. But Paul is Paul. Uh, So I think we can trust him. Uh, What Paul says over the next uh, few verses contains some pretty strongly worded stuff that might trigger the reader. And I think he's doing it on purpose. So so as we read verses 18 through 32, I want you to to just breathe and notice what what sticks in your your craw. Um, And I think you can break down verses 18 through 32 into six parts. Uh, and you can go ahead and follow along as I go through. He's, he starts in about verse 18, 19 with, really with Adam and Eve, how humanity has been a hot mess from the beginning, uh, incurring the wrath of God. Next, it moves into idolatry, uh, the false worship that goes maybe from the golden calves in the wilderness to the emperor worship in first century Rome. Then moves on to materialism. Worshipping that which is created instead of worshipping the creator. The accumulation of wealth and property and things while oppressing the poor and destroying the environment. More wrath of God stuff. Fourth, Paul talks about natural and unnatural sexual norms. Sexuality was a hot-button topic then and now. I'll tell you what, I'll come back later to this one. Because the next section, this fifth section, really feels like a catch-all. It's a laundry list of examples of human depravity, every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Oh yeah, and then gossip and slander, God-hating, arrogant, rude, boastful, disloyal to family and friends, inventing new ways to sin, lacking love, lacking mercy... The sixth part, verse 32, is the approval of all of the above in the name of religion or self-actualization. But by the end of chapter 1, there is no one who can claim to be exempt from God's wrath. I mean, seriously, can you really go through that list and claim that none of those are your problem? (laughs) And I think that's Paul's point. Sin is not the problem of those people Sin is my problem, our problem, the problem of humanity. We're all in the same boat. We are all subject to God's righteous judgment. No one, Jew or Gentile or anybody in between, can, cl- can claim exemption or moral high ground. 
Do you have one of those round magnifying mirrors in your bathroom? You know, the one with the light ring around it? And you look into it and you can see every blackhead and pimple, every gray hair and wrinkle. Romans chapter 1, 18, verse 32, through 18 verse through 32, I believe it's that kind of a mirror. It's there for me to recognize and see my own sinfulness, not to point it at somebody else. I think Paul purposely starts his list talking about those people because we're always willing to point fingers at others first. There's a story back in the Old Testament. There was a king named David, and uh, one day he was lounging, and he let his mind and his eyes wander, and he sees the wife of one of his most trusted soldiers and decides to have his way with her. And when she turns up pregnant, he sets up her husband Uriah to die in battle. It's a story from 2 Samuel chapter 11. Kings and billionaires get away with murder all the time. But not this time, because in chapter 12, God sends a prophet named Nathan to confront David about his sin. Now, that's no easy task. So David, so Nathan tells David a story about a rich man who, owed a bunch of, who owned a bunch of livestock, who steals from his poorer neighbor, that man's one and only lamb. David hears a story about that guy and expresses outrage at the rich man's crime. But then Nathan looks the king in the eye and says, you are that man. And I think that's what Paul is doing in this list as well. He starts talking about those people. And everybody's going along with, yeah, those people, those people. But then you get to chapter 2, verse 1, and Paul makes a shift from the third person to the second person. You, therefore, have no excuse. He writes, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you, you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, <laughs> do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches, riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? And this is important, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, for Paul, it's not about the wrath of God. It's about the kindness of God. See, this is how it is for, for Jew and Gentile and everybody in between. We're all subject to the wrath of God, but the good news of Christ Jesus is that our salvation rests in the kindness of God. Specifically, God is merciful, patient, forbearing. God's mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Forbearing, God could intervene, but doesn't. And God's patience God has all the time in the world. God believes in you, loves you, and will never give up on you, even if it takes a lifetime for you to make all the mistakes and learn from them and to come to know and trust God's faithfulness. God has all the time in the world. Now, Paul has our attention. 
Here in Romans 1 and 2, he's placed humanity on even footing, located us all as being in the same boat, equally depraved, equally dependent on the mercy and patience and forbearance and kindness of God, Jew and Gentile, and everyone in between. The rest of chapter 2 through the first eight verses of chapter 3, he furthers his argument that neither Jew nor Gentile has a leg up on the other. And then starting in chapter 3, verse 9, he's going to begin to spell out a way to understand justification, what it means that we are saved by grace through faith, how we are right with God because of the righteousness of God, how all that works and what it means for us today. And that's what we're going to look at next week, God willing. But I promised I would come back to the topic of homosexuality because Romans 1 does talk about homosexuality, after all. And often those verses, Romans 1, 26 and 27, are plucked out of their context to single out the gays as being particularly wrath-incurring. Well, in addition to what I've said on the topic already, let me just add this. First, I believe and teach, as does the Lutheran Church, that the Bible is authoritative. It is the source and norm of our faith. Scripture itself uh, declares that it is inspired, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and equipping us for good works. I know this. The Bible says what it says. It doesn't say more than what it says, and it doesn't say less than what it says. The Bible says what it says. And around here, we read the whole Bible, not just a few verses here and there. Second, I'd say that the first century church, as revealed in the scriptures, has a generally negative and skeptical view of homosexuality and non-conforming expressions of gender. True. Paul here is not introducing a new idea. It appears as though he is simply reinforcing a given cultural norm of the day. I think you'd be very hard-pressed to make a case that somehow Paul wrote the entire book of Romans primarily to condemn homosexuality. Third, the Bible demonstrates variety, movement, growth, and progress when it comes to all sorts of social matters, including marriage, gender, race, and sexuality. By Paul's day, it was frowned upon for men to have multiple wives or concubines or to be married to your sister. Paul himself was a radical in his day when it came to views of the place of Jewish purity and dietary codes in the Christian faith. He got a lot of pushback for that. Fourth, the church in the last 2,000 years has also shown movement, progress, and growth when it comes to any number of social issues, including gender, race, and class. And it's not just the Lutherans, although the Lutherans for, what, uh, 50, 60 years now have been ordaining women. Well, just this past week, Rick Warren's old church saddled back uh, over there in Orange County, uh, California. They got themselves booted out of the Southern Baptist Convention for ordaining women. You go, Saddleback. Come, Holy Spirit. There's growth, there's movement, there's progress in the church because the Holy Spirit, because God's Word is living and active, because God continues to work in the world today. So I think that if the Holy Spirit can lead the church to growth and progress regarding race and women and slavery and polygamy, 
I believe that we should be open to the possibility that the Spirit can lead us to new understandings of gender as well. Now, I'll also say that most of the conversation today around gender and sexuality, it goes right over my head. I can get the whole pronoun thing, but puberty-blocking drugs and surgeries and, and what it, social standards of masculine and feminine, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand what, uh, the conversation, and I don't have to. I just have to be willing to ask questions and to listen well. I will say, you know, the adage that to a hammer, everything's a nail. It does feel like there's a whole lot of societal problems and anxiety that are being channeled into the gender and sexuality conversation, and that there are young people who are getting kind of caught in the middle of it all. And this concerns me. So I think I'm at number eight. <laughs> I think we should take a page from Paul, and we should be a little slower to judge. I think we could learn to, uh, and practice more of that divine forbearance that we ourselves receive from God. Maybe we should practice some of that divine kindness and patience that God first shows us. After all, we all have issues. <laughs> we all have stuff we're trying to figure out. We all have stuff that's glaring at us at, back uh, in that mirror. And that's why we go to church, to sort out our junk in a community saturated with the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. And so just to be clear, when we as a church explore and wonder about becoming a more intentionally welcoming and affirming congregation of all people, regardless of gender or race or language, age, ability, whatever, we do so because of what the Bible says, not despite it. We do so because the love of Christ compels us. Because if people can't sort out their stuff at church, where can they? And if we can't sort out our junk at faith, what are we even doing here? The book of Romans insists that God's kindness leads to repentance. And so energized by God's amazing love, Faith Lutheran Church is a welcoming community, growing closer to and more like Jesus, making Christ known, joyfully serving each other, our neighbors, and all creation. Today, I pray that you may be encouraged by the mercy, patience, forbearance, and kindness of God. May the gospel reveal to you today God's righteousness and mercy. May each of us have the courage to confess our sin and lean into the grace of God to do the work. May this study of the book of Romans teach us, rebuke us, and equip us for good works. May we learn to be slow to judge others and quick to give them the benefit of the doubt. Thanks for listening, everyone. I want to encourage you to peruse the book of Romans for yourself. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, chapter 3 next week. Bring, um, uh, why don't you, if you have any questions or insights or inspirations, uh, text me or call me. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about and how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in the Scripture. To learn more about faith, go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. While you're there, you can check out our Bible studies, prayer groups, ministries. Then you can like us, subscribe, donate, sign up for our newsletter. You can get this podcast on most podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and, and Google. Chaz, thank you for your production work on this podcast every week. 
And I leave you with a blessing. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.